Well, I want to pray for us, and we're going to open God's word. Father, would you teach us now? Teach us in a way that it will transform our lives so that we will look more like Jesus, that we will love him more, and that we will live for him. We pray these things in his name. Amen. All right, you see here our baptism tank. Behind me today is a special day. Today is Baptism Sunday. Later in our service, we're going to baptize precious Jade Ng. Can we hear for Jade Ng? We're going to bring her up later on, but you're going to meet Jade later on in our service. And we're going to baptize her in front of her church family here. And if you would like to be baptized today and you did not bring anything, that's okay. We have everything you need. So if God says, today might be the day for you to be baptized we have a baptism shirt in the back for you, for you to keep. We have all the things you need to change and be prepared. I think we even have a plastic uh, sheet for your car so you don't get your car seat wet. And so we have everything you need to be baptized. And so think about that, pray about that. If you'd like to be baptized today, you can feel free to go to the foyer at any point and get changed, and we'll baptize you as well. Today, I'm also thrilled because the Ascent is with us. Can we hear for our youth ministry? Hello, students. So wonderful to see you here during our service. Well, this morning's message is entitled, Jesus, hand it over for our release. Jesus, hand it over for our release. And we'll be in Mark chapter 15, verses 1 through 20. And today, we're kind of wrapping up this series that we've been in since way back in the spring of this year. After today, we have only two more messages in this series. And if I can share this, I have personally grown in my studies in Mark in ways that I could not have imagined at the beginning of our series. And in particular, I'm learning more and more what it means to follow Jesus. And my prayer is, my hope is that you have also been growing through this series. And I believe that today's passage has so much deep insight into what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to begin by reading the first five verses of our passage today. Mark chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Very early in the morning... The chief priests, with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. So they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, Aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply. And Pilate was amazed. It's early Friday morning. Jesus had been up all night. He was facing illegal trial after illegal trial. And the religious leaders, they were doing everything they could to justify putting Jesus to death. 
but they couldn't even get two witnesses to get their stories straight. And so here it is, Friday morning, about 6 a.m., and the religious leaders, they devise a plan. And their plan is to convince Pilate, the Roman governor, to justify sentencing Jesus to death. Now, the question is this. How do you get Pontius Pilate to authorize the killing of Jesus when all Pilate wants is political peace? There was a lot of political turmoil at that time between the Romans and the Jews. And Pilate, he doesn't care that Jesus is claiming to be the Messiah. As far as Pilate is concerned, well, that's just an in-house argument amongst the Jewish community. It doesn't matter if Jesus is the Messiah or not to Pilate. He just wants to keep peace between the Romans and the Jews. But there is something that Pilate cares about. He doesn't want someone to come along and to threaten Caesar's power. You might remember earlier in our series, we introduced you to a man named Herod. Herod was called the king of the Jews. Herod was hired by the Roman government to kind of keep peace amongst the Jewish people. But Herod he served under the direction of the Roman government. Herod was Jewish, but he served under the Roman rulers. And they said, Herod, just do your best to keep the Jewish people from inciting a riot. So that was Herod. By the time Jesus stood before Pilate, Herod had died. That was Herod the Great. So the king of the Jews had died by the time Jesus stood before Pilate. Herod had sons, but his sons, they didn't take the throne. They were never called the king of the Jews. You see, by that time when Herod had died, the Roman government, they said, no more, no more kings for the Jewish people. We'll only give you governorship of various regions. In fact, in Judea, where this was taking place, Pilate, a Roman, was given the governorship because in that region there was so much tension, political turmoil between the Romans and the Jews. The Roman government said, no, no, we're not going to entrust this region to another person from the Jewish community. Pilate, you go and keep order. So, as you can imagine, the very thought of Jesus claiming to be the king of the Jews, that was a threat. It was a threat to Caesar, and Pilate didn't want that to happen. And that's why we just read in verse 2, and I want to look at verse 2 closely again. Verse 2 says this, Are you the king of the Jews? That's what Pilate asked. You have said so, Jesus replied. I'm going to focus on that phrase. You have said so. Pilate asks Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus replies with this idiom. He says, you have said so. This is another way of saying, yeah, whatever. Whatever you think. 
So Jesus is using an idiom to Pilate. Sure, Pilate, yeah, I'm the king of the Jews. Whatever you think, whatever you believe. Here's what Jesus was implying when he said, you have said so. What Jesus was saying was this, Pilate, yes, I am the king of the Jews, but not in the way you are thinking. You see, Jesus was not preparing to lead a military coup against the Roman government. He was preparing to lay his life down for the sins of the world. Sadly, throughout the years and throughout the centuries, in one violent act after another, people have used the name of Jesus to justify their ungodly actions. We've seen that in our lifetime. We've read about that in history books. People have used the name of Jesus to justify acts of violence. But I want us to see what Jesus says, as captured by John in his gospel, of this very scene in Mark. In John chapter 18, verse 36, Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now, my kingdom is from another place. That is what Jesus said to Pilate. And so after questioning Jesus, Pilate, he found no grounds to charge Jesus. In fact, Pilate was so amazed that Jesus held his tongue. He was blown away that Jesus would not defend himself. Now I imagine Pilate had countless number of criminals stand before him, pleading and begging and trying to defend themselves. But Jesus would not defend himself. Why, though? Why wouldn't Jesus defend himself? Well, one commentator says this. Jesus offers no defense because we have no defense. Jesus offers no defense because we have no defense. You see, Jesus was going to the cross to die for our sins. And if he was going to the cross to die for our sins, what defense did he have? So after giving Jesus every opportunity to defend himself, and after finding no fault in Jesus, Pilate, he thought he would just wash his hands of the situation. And to wash one's hands, it basically means... It's not my fault. I take no responsibility. I'm not to blame. But Pilate was not innocent. You see, because Pilate was threatened. He was threatened by the possibility that if he released Jesus, the religious leaders would go to Caesar and say, Caesar, Jesus claimed to be the king of the Jews. Your man Pilate released him. And because of that, because of that threat, Pilate was pressured into giving in. 
Let's continue on. Look at verse 6. Now, it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Asked Pilate, knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Throughout history, it's been customary for leaders of nations to pardon criminals. And sometimes it's for political reasons. Even going back to the Roman gladiator days, you ever watch like gladiator movies? Right? You ever watch uh, the movie Gladiator, Russell Crowe, some years ago? Right? And we point to movies like that. Well, did you know even during the days of the gladiators, the Roman leaders, they would often stand before the crowds in the stadium and they would survey the crowd. Do you want me to release this man? Do you want me to release this prisoner? And so the leader would take a poll of the crowd, and the leader would often pardon one of the gladiators. Well, here in this passage, we're told that the religious leaders stirred up, they incited the crowd to pressure Pilate into releasing an insurrectionist. And this insurrectionist led a revolt against the Roman government. And this insurrectionist's name was Barabbas. By the way, it's likely that Barabbas' full name was Jesus Barabbas. Jesus was a common name back then, like Simon, like James. And so it's possible that Jesus Barabbas had been arrested for sedition and for killing people in that process. Let's think about the spiritual significance of this context here. Barabbas was named after his father. The name Barabbas means son of his father, like junior. So he's like junior. So, son of his father, son of the father. The crowds asked for the release of Jesus Barabbas, son of the father, in exchange for Jesus Christ, the son of God. The crowd wanted Pilate to release a criminal, a man who defied the government and murdered people in exchange for an innocent man who would die for criminals. 
Barabbas was a zealot. We talked about zealots some weeks back. Zealots were a group of people who believed that the kingdom of God could only come when the evil pagan rulers were removed from power by whatever means, even if it meant violence and force. Now contrast this with the other Jesus, the Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus brought with him good news for the poor and the marginalized. Jesus dined with sinners. He kept company with the despised. One commentator said this, His was a kingdom that was a threat to the religious elite and the powerful, not because he was trying to grasp power for himself, but because he had the audacity to give it away. Let's pause and think about that for a moment. Jesus had the audacity to give away his power. When we consider our role as followers of Jesus Christ within our society, I want us to be careful that we don't make the same wrong choices the same wrong decisions and the same mistakes that so many have made before us. And what I mean is this. Oftentimes, when I think about the Christian landscape, I include in there Christian media, Christian publications, Christian organizations, and Christian churches, I'm afraid that over the years, amongst some groups within this Christian landscape, there's been an unhealthy preoccupation to take back, to take back our cities, to take back our nation, to take back our world, to take back whatever it is, and to do it in the name of Jesus. And what this has resulted in is what I call a power gospel. Now, don't confuse this with the fact that the gospel is powerful. The power of the gospel is wonderful. It has a power to transform lives. But what I've noticed over the years is this preoccupation with a power gospel. It's an attitude that says, we're going to fight and take back what is ours, our cities, our nation, our world. And it actually sounds okay. And there are good intentions. But I want to consider what Jesus said. Okay, because that's all that matters, right? What Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, in verses 42 to 45, is this. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. 
For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Please make no mistake about it. Jesus Barabbas had a gospel message. It just was not the message of Jesus Christ. You see, for Barabbas, his goal, his aim was to defeat, even kill the enemy. Jesus would die for his enemies. Barabbas did everything in his power to hold on to his rights and to fight for his rights and rally others to fight for their rights. Jesus voluntarily gave up his rights. Barabbas insulted and he attacked his enemies. Here's what happened to Jesus Christ. Verses 16 to 20 in our passage today says this. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again they struck him on the head with his staff and spit on him. And falling to their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. And all the while, Jesus did not utter a single word of defense. I'm innocent. I'm innocent. You can't do this. Not once did Jesus utter a word of defense. Jesus Barabbas insulted and he attacked his enemies. Jesus Christ was humiliated for our sins. My question to us is this. Which Jesus are we going to follow? Which Jesus are we going to follow? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who went to the cross for us? Now, before we come down too hard on Barabbas, I want us to consider this fact. Every single one of us here in this room today, every single one of us shares something in common with Barabbas. Every single one of us. And it's this. You and I, like Barabbas, have been pardoned. We've been pardoned. We are no better than Barabbas. Barabbas was pardoned by Pilate. You and I have been pardoned when Jesus was handed over to go to the cross. Barabbas was granted release. You and I have been granted release. My friends, that, that is the heart of the gospel 
message. You and I stand condemned. Every single one of us. We stand condemned. And if it not, we're not for Jesus going to the cross for our sins, we would still stand condemned. That is the heart of the gospel message. We've been pardoned. I want us to consider for a moment as we look ahead to the coming days. And I want to I share with you a word of practical application today. For those who are new to our series, we've been in this several month long series through Mark. And in the first act, the crowds, they witness Jesus perform miracle after miracle, and they marvel, and they ask the question, who is this Jesus? They're amazed, and they want to follow him. So they start following him. And then in Acts 2, in chapters 8b to 10, the disciples who made a choice to follow Jesus, they start worrying, wait a minute, what does it mean for Jesus to be the Messiah? This isn't looking good for him. And they reason, if it's not looking good for him, it's not looking good for them. And yes, they would learn the hard way what it means to follow Jesus. And for the last several weeks, we've been looking at the last week of Jesus' life before his crucifixion and resurrection. As we look at the way Jesus responded to his enemies, as followers of Jesus Christ, how can we follow in any other way than in his footsteps and so I want to share with you a word of practical application as we consider this passage. And that application is found in the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. And the apostle Paul, who was the chief enemy of the church, but he, he was saved by grace. And this is what he said. In Philippians 2, starting in verse 5, he says this. In your relationships with one another. And so I'm going to stop right there. That means this is as practical as it gets, church. This is all of our relationships. Have this same mindset as Christ Jesus. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Our application is this, church. This week, in all of our relationships, in every conversation, in every encounter, we are to demonstrate the humility of Christ. This week, this week when a loved one says a mean word to you, this week when a loved one says an insensitive word to you, and it's going to happen, it will happen, I guarantee you, it is going to happen. 
when a loved one hurts you this week. We're called to demonstrate the humility of Christ and forgive. When a friend or a coworker or even a stranger makes life difficult for you, and it's going to happen, I guarantee you it will happen. If not today, then tomorrow. If a coworker, a friend, or a perfect stranger makes life difficult, we demonstrate the humility of Jesus. And when we have every reason to get back at someone, to even the score, or at the very least, to defend ourselves, the next time we are tempted to explain to someone why their image of us is wrong, demonstrate the humility of Jesus. When Jesus was mocked and beaten, he did not say a single word. Because we have no defense. You see, Jesus had to go to the cross for us. There was no other way. And that is why in, in the terrible circumstance of this trial before Pilate, it is the most beautiful thing that Jesus could do for us. I, I hope you appreciate how beautiful it was that Jesus stood there and he took insult and beating for you and for me. That's the message of the gospel. And if we are to follow in his footsteps, if he is our model, if we are to be like Jesus, then certainly we must act like Jesus in this coming week. In other words, we have to die to ourselves. And I'm going to share this. When I say die to ourselves, I know I say that in a situation, in an environment, in a climate where today we're actually encouraged to speak up for ourselves and to look out for ourselves. And here Jesus says, Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. It's the hardest thing that you and I will ever do. And that's what Jesus has called us to do. Would you bow with me? Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that although he had every right to speak up and defend himself and to correct the perceptions, the wrong perceptions that people had of him, he was handed over to go to the cross, to fulfill your will, to take our place, 
so that we would no longer be condemned. Father, it's, it's a beautiful act. It's a beautiful thing that Jesus did for us. Help us not to forget that this week in our relationships with one another. Help us to be like Jesus today and every day. I pray these things in his name. Amen.